The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. You're watching a shortened edition of Squawk Box. I'm Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Uh, the Santa rally stalls as the S&P 500 dips from a fresh intraday record, but the Dow outperforms, posting its fifth straight positive session. Global COVID cases, though, topping 1 million for the second straight day, whilst new research suggests Omicron will displace Delta with the new variant raising immunity against the older strain. Our US colleagues are going to speak to the President Biden's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. That is later today. Elsewhere, Hong Kong police raiding one of the city's last remaining pro-democracy news outlets, arresting staff for seditious publication offences. And the US and Russia will hold direct talks in early January amid a buildup of troops near the border with Ukraine. As Vladimir Putin says, Moscow has been pushed towards a red line with nowhere to retreat. They deploy missile systems in Ukraine that can reach Moscow in four to five minutes. Where should we move? They've taken it to a point where we simply must tell them, stop. Well, it's nice to see you all, albeit I'm sure in diminished numbers uh, this morning. Of course, it's that tricky intra-holiday uh, period where you've had Christmas and now you've got the new year to come before people balance the books and start again in 2022. So lots of looking back and looking forward. Not a huge amount going on uh, in the markets at the moment. It was fairly steady stuff from the US indices, which, as I said in the headlines, had a stunning, stunning rally up to record levels from the lows we had when we started to worry about Omicron at the the start of December, uh, late November. Uh, but now the S&P 500 uh, month to date has put on 4.8%. The Dow's put on 5.6%. Year to date, the move on the S&P is up 27%. Now, that's great if you've got some form of index tracker or, or, or an ETF. But if you've got individual stocks, you will know as well as I do, there are huge disparities in the performance. This has not been an everything rally for US stocks. I think it's very important to say that. Record levels thereabouts on the Dow, record levels on the S&P. The Nasdaq has put on over 22% on the year to date, but there are lots of stocks, over 200 in fact, in correction territory uh, in the S&P 500. There's about 90 stocks actually, which are still in bear market territory. So we know what we've seen in 2021, which is a concentration, a surrounding of those very, very big names, the Googles, the the Apples, the uh, NVIDIAs of this world, uh, the Teslas, where we've seen a concentration there of money pulled in, which has dragged up the broader S&P 500 as well. But what about the outlook, especially uh, with rates beginning to tighten in certain jurisdictions, with quantitative easing being pulled back a little bit quicker and inflation remaining a real threat as well? It makes 2022 very, very exciting, not least the fact that some of these valuations... 
And I say some of them look rather stretched to many of us in the markets. Let's have a look at the Asian indices. Again, a patchy old performance here. You've got the ASX 200 up 1.2%. So strong move there to the upside. But actually elsewhere, we are not seeing the same kind of momentum to the upside. We've got the Hang Seng over in Hong Kong down 1.1%. The Nikkei in Tokyo, six tenths of 1% easier. Uh, And the Shanghai Composite representing the mainland markets in China down 9 tenths of 1%. My goodness me, are you playing the Turkish lira? I hope you're long premium if you are. It's it, quite extraordinary. This is the broader FX world, which is very similar to where it was just before Christmas as well. But here we are. Turkish lira, uh, the dollar gaining 2% as I speak as well. But basically we saw, uh, what, 18.5, the uh, dollar to the Turkish lira last week. So huge moves we've seen to the upside for the dollar versus that. And then we saw uh, hints of it, uh, intervention from the central bank, what they exactly did in terms of withdrawing um, well, by selling dollars and buying Turkish lira. It's still a bit grey out there and guaranteeing some losses on certain accounts as well. The fact of the matter is the Turkish lira had a stunning rally in the last week or so, but just giving back a little bit of ground in the last session and a half. European close. Well, the last print we had from the European stock uh, indices that moved, London, uh, of course, uh, a notable exception. The Kakaron up six tenths of 1%. The Zetra DAX up eight tenths of a percent, uh, moving in a similar move where the uh, FTSE MIB and the IBEX in uh, Milan and Madrid. We can move on now and take a look at the opening calls for the European indices and what we are expecting here. There we go. Well done. Uh, The FTSE 100 called down 13 points at the start of trading, but again, has had a a solid rally. Zetradax around 16,000, 71.70, the Kakarant, and the FTSE MIPS called down 17 points. Well, let's get to one of my oldest friends in the markets, uh, Bob Parker, who is Investment Committee member at Quillvest Wealth Management. First of all, Bob, happy holidays. I I hope you have managed some rest and uh, you've had a great time with your your big family as well. Um, And you managed to get together. So many families I know were just split up over Christmas because of various isolation rules. But anyway, Bob, about these markets at the moment. Um, I mean, let's look backwards before we go forward. What do you make of what we've seen? Well, I think if you sort of go back over 2021 as a whole and sort of more recently what's happening in markets, um, I think two big themes has been obviously the strong performance in US and European equity markets. Um, I think you know, any of us in the markets earlier in the year had to adjust our positions in Asia because obviously one major theme this year, uh, with a few exceptions such as Taiwan, um, you know, we have seen major underperformance, and most notably uh, in China and uh, and Japan, we've seen underperformance of the uh, of the Asian markets. Um, if you look at fixed income markets this year. You know, we've just seen this very slow, modest uptrend in yields. And you know, I think one major theme in markets um, at the moment is the extent, and this leads into the conversation on inflation, um, is the extent of the negativity, if that's the right word, uh, in real yields. And that is a key driver in markets as we go into 2022. Um, I think just the other comment I would make um, is on foreign exchange and commodity markets. You know, clearly, this year has been a year where we've seen a rapid rebound in most commodity prices, uh, more recently, obviously, in energy prices and gas. Uh, but conversely, in contrast to that volatility in uh, uh, in commodity markets, you know, we've seen very little volatility with the exception of the Turkish lira, of course. But if you look at the broad foreign exchange markets, volatility has remained very low indeed. And that's an interesting question for 2022 as to whether that increases. 
Van, if you, you mentioned Turkey, there's a whole host of flashes, literally as you and I are speaking, coming out of Turkey, uh, saying the, we'll do comprehensive analysis on the drivers of inflation. So says the Turkish central bank. Uh, we'll cut energy intensive steel by, oh, that big, well, that's China. Uh, what else are they saying? Com- comprehensive studies will be carried out to increase the amount of gold collected from under the mattress. Not often you hear uh, central banks talking about get reducing gold from under the mattress. Uh, I, I have a lot of understanding why people are sticking gold under the mattress. Uh, but Bob, let's go back to through, through of your, uh, some of your points there as well. Okay, negative real yields. You, you caught my attention on that one as well. We know uh, how low bond yields have been in sovereign, in corporate, all over the fixed income space as well. Is 2022 the year when negative real yields will erode somewhat? Um, I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, but you used, actually, I think the appropriate word, which is somewhat. Uh, and, you know, we could be in a situation in the States around the middle of 2022 where, you know, 10-year U.S. Treasury yields have edged up slightly to, towards 2%. But we'll still have inflation uh, on my central case scenario at 3.5%. So I think inflation is going to ease. Uh, but I think the pace, at least in the U.S. and the U.K. of inflation coming down, uh, is going to be painfully slow. So, Real yields will stay negative, but the extent of that negativity will come down. But, you know, middle of 2022, we could still have a negative real yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury of, you know, one and a half, potentially two percent. Uh, in Europe, I think that inflation will probably ease more rapidly than in the States and uh, and the UK. Um, and, you know, we could have a situation in the middle of the year where bond yields are close to zero. Um, but eurozone inflation, you know, is still at around two and a half percent. So, you know, again, a negative real yield of two and a half percent. Um, I think the interesting question is whether inflation um, stays low in Asia. Um, and I think the answer to that is inflation is probably less of a problem in Asia than it is in the States or Europe. OK, well, what about equity markets, Bob, on the back of that as well? Equity markets, I, I see uh, some arguments saying, well, actually, if we do have a continued bounce of inflation, it's good for equity markets as well. Actually, governments uh, have worse balance sheets than corporations and corporations are where you should put your money. Devaluations at the current level. And you mentioned the outperformance of uh, the United States and Europe in 2021. Do they excite you that actually it's a good opportunity to invest in those equities again? Well, I think the case for equity markets is that, yes, uh, corporate earnings growth is going to slow, but um, it's still going to be, I think, well above historic averages. So, you know, a reasonable central case would be eurozone corporate earnings growth uh, just over 10 percent in the States, just under 10 percent. Um, I think the interesting one is a market which is of well, two markets which have underperformed this year, uh, looking at China and Japan. Uh, and Chinese uh, corporate earnings growth could easily be close to 15 percent in 2022 relative to 2021. Um, and Japan Japan, you know, close to 12%. So I think one interesting question um, is that after the underperformance and you know, investing in Asia in 2021 has been a miserable experience and the right strategy has been, at least until recently, to be uh, avoid Asian markets generally. Uh, I think the interesting question is whether it's time to go back into Asia. And my answer to that is on the basis of valuations and earnings growth uh, and also, you know, the economic growth outlook um, is, is to re- allocate funds back in Asia.
Yeah, that's very interesting. Very traditional metrics there. Valuations, earnings growth, and the, and the underlying economics, Bob. But there are other factors at play, uh, and they are international politics and the ease of international investors to invest uh, in China. And of course, what's going on domestically, because it was actually the domestic moves uh, from the government and from President Xi that actually augured perhaps that underperformance in a lot of those formerly high-flying stocks. Are we going to see more of the same of that, which actually is going to deter uh, that outperformance or that um, that return to performance from Chinese equities? Um, I think the answer to that is probably not. And uh, I think if we just look at you know, what the People's Bank of China is doing at the moment in contrast to the Fed and other major central banks, and you know, the People's Bank of China is, you know, with the exception of our dear friends in Ankara, is, is actually uh, you know, the, one of the only major central banks in the world which is actually easing monetary policy. So easing monetary policy, it's highly likely that in January we're going to see fiscal measures um, you know, being introduced to boost the economy. Um, and I think there is concern uh, amongst the Chinese government that the regulatory measures that they took earlier in the year, uh, there is concern that they don't want that to push growth down further. And you know, they can accept 5% growth, but you know, an outcome for the Chinese government of let's say sub 4% growth uh, would be unacceptable. And that's why you're seeing these monetary and fiscal measures being implemented at the moment. And just switching over to uh, to Japan, um, you know, again, a fiscal program being introduced there and uh, Bank of Japan moving very slowly um, on removing monetary accommodation. Um, I would also just highlight, um, you know, ASEAN and the ASEAN 5 are probably going to be one of the big growth drivers in uh, 2022 with, you know, 5 to 6% growth, Chinese growth 5%. And I think Japanese growth is probably going to surprise on the upside. Um, one final question, Bob. I should probably ask you a little bit about Bitcoin. Your, your old chum, um, uh, Giles, is still a big fan of the cryptos as well. But someone else we both know, Alex Brummer at the Mail today, saying, just pointing out to a lot of his readers, reality check for cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is a scam which will only end in tears. So you've got two doyens of the market the last 20, 30 years. One says it's great. The other one says it's a scam. Where do you stand, Bob? Uh, I actually have a very simple view, which is that, and this comes back to, you know, a number of comments from central bankers in uh, recent months, which is, you know, one important criteria for a currency or an asset class is do you have confidence in your ability to forecast its price movements? And do you understand the volatility uh, in those price movements? And, you know, in the case of Bitcoin, uh, I think one has to really challenge whether you have confidence in it due to its volatility. Um, I think a sub you know, question is, do you actually understand the factors which drive the price movements in Bitcoin? Um, and, you know, a subsidiary question, which many people have asked is, would you have confidence in a currency where its creation is extremely energy intensive? And I think that's a very negative factor on Bitcoin, which many people ignore. Yeah, I hear you, Bob. Um, excellent. Lovely to speak to you as ever and have a brilliant New okay, Year's. Best wishes for 2022. Yeah, well, let's hope there's a little bit less COVID around, Bob. Thanks very much indeed. Exactly. And I'll, I might actually get Absolutely. to see you in person again. That would be very Absolutely. nice. Bob Parker, thank you very much indeed, uh, who is, of course, Investment Committee member at Quillvest Wealth Management. I'm going to just say my favourite flash of the week so far. <laughs> uh, we've talked about anchor and oscillations in policy there. What about, uh, if you didn't see it earlier on as well, the Turkish Central Bank says comprehensive studies will be carried out. What do you think they're going to carry out comprehensive studies on? 
what, on, on inflation, maybe. Interest rates, possibly. Turkish lira manipulation, uh, maybe. The Turkish Central Bank says comprehensive studies will be carried out to increase the amount of gold collected from under the mattress. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, can you? What a flash. I'm going to ask Andrew Bailey about that next time we speak to him. What about gold under the mattress, Andrew? Uh, right, let's move on. Okay, so elsewhere, we mentioned a bit about um, COVID there. Uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, has revised down the number of U.S. COVID infections by the Omicron variant. It now believes Omicron accounts for approximately 59% of all COVID cases in the United States, compared with 73% it previously said. It also shortened its isolation recommendation for people who test positive for the virus to five days from 10. That is fascinating. Is that about science evidence or is it about the crippling effect of 10 days on the economy? I think there's a good argument there, isn't there? Anyway, it's five days from 10 days, apparently. Uh, The new guidance encourages people to isolate for five days and wear a mask for an additional five days when around other people. Wow. Uh, New research by South African scientists suggests uh, contracting Omicron could actually help provide immunity to the Delta variant. Uh, The new study has not been peer-reviewed yet, but it found that people who were infected with Omicron, especially those who were vaccinated, developed enhanced immunity to the Delta variant. Elsewhere, hospitalizations in England hit a nine-month high and health officials are warning that a sharp rise in NHS staff absences due to COVID risks delaying other patient care. Almost 130,000 people tested positive for COVID-19 Tuesday. The figures come as UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson held off imposing new restrictions before New Year's Eve, saying the latest data shows Omicron may be milder than other variants, whilst adding the possibility of uh, new rules in January had not been ruled out. Coronavirus cases surged across Australia on Wednesday as an outbreak of the Omicron variant exploded, prompting the Prime Minister Scott Morrison to schedule an emergency National Cabinet meeting. New infections in Sydney and surrounding parts of New South Wales rose to more than 11,000. That is up from 6,000 a day earlier. The Prime Minister, though, sounded optimistic, however, that the uh, country uh, did, or so far, has uh, the capacity to cope. While we do have a, a high volume of cases, which is what Omicron presents as a challenge, there are 1,314 people in hospital, there are 126 in ICU and 55 on ventilators. Now, what that says is there is ample capacity in our hospital system to deal with the challenges that we are presently confronting. Scott Morrison there. Well, on a programming note, we're going to hear more about the Omicron variant and the CDC's latest isolation recommendation from Dr. Anthony Fauci. That interview is happening at 9.30 Central European time. Okie dokie, coming up on this show, Russia says oil producers are ignoring US requests to pump oil. Okay, uh, focusing on the longer term. We'll discuss that. Plus, for more on the markets in this final trading week of the year, check out the Squawk Box podcast, available from the likes of Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, 
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back to the show. Police in Hong Kong have raided one of the city's last remaining pro-democracy news outlets. Six Stand News staff members were arrested, accused of suspected seditious publications offences. Officers removed files and computers from the company's offices. Elsewhere, Russia's top court has ordered the country's oldest human rights group to shut down. The Kremlin says Memorial International broke controversial NGO laws requiring groups funded overseas to mark their material as being issued by a foreign agent. Opposition groups say it may have been its collection of Stalin-era documents that prompted its demand. Demise, I beg your pardon. Uh, the US and Russia are set for direct talks on January 10th. It's the first of three rounds of talks with Russia and NATO expected to meet on January 12th and a wider meeting between Moscow and Washington and European nations the following day. The talks come amid continued tensions over Russia's troop buildup near Ukraine. The president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, says Moscow has been backed into a corner. In order for it to be clear to everyone in our country and to our partners abroad, it's not about the red lines. We don't want to be crossed by someone. It's about the fact that we have nowhere to retreat. They have pushed us to a line pardon my language, that we can't cross. Like I already said, they deploy missile systems in Ukraine that can reach Moscow in four to five minutes. Where should we move? They've taken it to a point where we simply must tell them, stop. Russia, meanwhile, says OPEC and its allies are holding back on ramping up global oil supply, as requested by the US, but rather focusing on the group's mid-term plans. Uh, the US President Joe Biden has repeatedly called for more oil supply to cushion the impact of rising prices. But according to Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak, OPEC Plus is focused on sticking to its longer-term policy. IHS market chairman Dan Jurgen told CNBC that the U.S. could become a major policy player in 2022. The U.S. is back. For the last year, year and a half, it's been OPEC plus. It's been running the show. But U.S. production is, is coming back uh, this uh, already, and it's going to come back more in 2022. And it's going to be, uh, could be as much as 900,000 barrels a day. Uh, so that is a change. And uh, and I guess the other change that's so interesting to me is that a Biden administration that wasn't at all interested in oil at the beginning of uh, its term earlier this year, uh, in the last few weeks has turned around and is asking the U.S. oil industry, having asked OPEC plus to increase production, now asking the U.S. industry. I've been on two calls with the Secretary uh, of Energy asking the U.S. companies to increase production. And that, of course, is because the Biden administration is so deeply concerned or alarmed about inflation and about its political impacts in the 2022 election. 
Well, that is fa- always fascinating, isn't it, listening to uh, Dan Jurgen there. But so let's uh, hear what uh, Dr. Kang Wu has got to say about this. Head of Global Demand and Asia Analytics at S&P Global Platts. Hello, sir. Very good to see you today. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, isn't that fascinating that the Biden administration seems in a very short period to have changed its attitude to the oil industry and the importance of it because of their own political and, uh, dare I say it, concerns about the midterms and inflation thereof. Is U.S. really going to be back in terms of a major player, in terms of a swing producer in 2022? Well, U.S. Uh, uh, indeed is uh, playing a very important role, uh, although that role is cannot be uh, determined or uh, uh, by, by, the, by the U.S. government directly, right? It's, it's, all, it's, uh, it's the oil industry reaction to, to the market. So with the, with the current level of oil prices, despite uh, volatility, is uh, good enough to incentivize the U.S. Uh, production to gradually, steadily increase. So 2022, uh, S&P Global Plus uh, analytics, we do see that uh, there will be quite a bit of a growth of uh, U.S. production, you know, up to a million barrels per day growth uh, for the uh, crude and condensate alone, if you add NGLs, that'll be a lot. So that, that is beyond the government's control. Uh, but industry reacts to to the market uh, signals. I think it's fair to say earlier on in the shell revolution that OPEC, OPEC Plus, they got shell very, very badly wrong and the supply effect it would have on global markets and, of course, prices as well. This time around, OPEC playing a very cautious game as well. Do they need to be worried, though, about this increase in US production? Well, uh, well, as said earlier, the increase in production, it is mainly driven by uh, small players, and uh, small caps uh, company. So large company majors and um, uh, even mid caps companies are still, uh, you know, quite uh, capital disciplined. So, so this time is um, it's kind of different in a way that there's a long-term plan of majors about their carbon issues. So their, their uh, approach to the production is more cautious in a way. But uh, the small caps, you know, the, the small independent players, they are more uh, actively reacting. So the, the, the growth will be, will be uh, slowly. I mentioned up to 1 million, 900,000 barrels per day, 1 million. But that will not be back to the pre-COVID levels yet. We, uh, you know, U.S. needs another year of 2023 to go back. So with the demand there, probably it's different this time. Yeah, and look, you're head of global demand, and that's absolutely key. We spend far too much time talking about supply. At what price do we start seeing an erosion of global demand because the price is just too high uh, for, let's say, the Indian consumer, the Japanese buyer? Uh, there is a t- demand erosion at a certain price. I just want to know where it is, sir. Very good question. You know, uh, currently, you know, $80 seem to be uh, one of the, the things we find out that if, if the prices go above $80, uh, stay there, 85 and going to 90 $100, if they go that way, demand will be, will be affected severely. severely. Um, right now, it's lingering around 80 so we don't directly see the, see the destruction of demand yet, particularly when the gas prices are high, that it actually incentivizes some of the uh, gas for oil switching. So, so in a way, yeah, if, if oil prices go back to $100, then we are talking about um, a million barrels per day above to two million barrels per day uh, of demand destruction. But we are not there yet. We are more like um, around $80. And actually, we, we probably see the ease of the price in the fourth quarter of 2022, given the demand supply balances.
Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, I mean, do you see us getting to $9,100 at some stage in 2022? Right now, we, as, as uh, our reference case, we don't see that happening, um, honestly. Uh, you know, given that uh, we do see that, actually, we do see uh, uh, more than 6 million barrels per day, you know, uh, uh, like six point, uh, more than 6.5 million barrels per day of, of supply growth next year altogether. Uh, OPEC and non-OPEC, you know, com- considering last year's um, uh, sort of, uh, I mean, this year's uh, uh, uneven uh, growth. And demand is uh, under 5 million barrels per day. We talk about like 4.6 million barrels per day uh, demand growth. You see that uh, there is still uh, some some kind of uh, um, a supply uh, a leeway, leeway there. We don't see $90, um, or definitely not $100 as a sustainable price. Uh, although the second half of 22, we are see we see the tightening of the market as uh, as OPEC um, uh, plus running out of uh, sort of uh, spare capacity, but uh, we don't see that high prices yet. I as guess a, a, a large amount of spare capacity in OPEC uh, is in Iran. It's just their problem selling it on the international markets. We've got new talks. I think it's an eighth round of talks taking place in Vienna this week as well. Um, if Vienna uh, talks are successful and Iran meaningfully comes back to the international market, is that going to have effect on price? Yeah, they do. You know, we we built in some uh, Iranian volumes for next year in this kind of a price uh, assessment, more like a middle middle uh, ground in in a way that some kind of partial re- return of the, the Iran um, uh, oil production. We, we assume something like seven hundred thousand barrels per day. You know for the second half of next year, uh, from, from April to the end of the December. But either end of it, let's say if the full return, that will be giving the market a much better sort of uh, environment in terms of price price sort of uh, um, management or, or easing price. However, if on the other side, if no, uh, no deal from, uh, from Iran, that will really make, uh, make the market tight. Uh, in that kind of dream case, that is a no deal towards the end of next year, then we do see high prices uh, coming coming around uh, to the market. So we've talked a lot about the US and about OPEC and about demand and about Iran as well. What are the other factors or key factors that we haven't mentioned that our viewers need to know about in 2022? Well, the uh, you know the OPEC policy is still uh, is still important. Of course, the room they, they can play is can become less and less given the you know the decline. Uh, a spare capacity. Of course, state of the economy. Uh, now we talk about Omicron. Omicron does have a short-term impact, uh, affect uh, the demand uh, this month, uh, and also affect the fourth quarter. So Omicron may lead to a lower, lower, lower sort of demand growth, and uh, up to a swing of you know like um, two to two point five million barrels per day. Um, though it's not our reference case, so we still see uh, more than four million barrels per day of demand growth next year. Uh, with uh, some assumption of uh, Omicron, so uh, inflation. Uh, that's you, uh, you as you reported earlier. Inflation is a concern, uh, leading to many many actions by the government and uh, by uh, uh, you know the, the behavior of the. I mean the action of the government and uh, and 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 leading to some some of the um, pressure on the OPEC. So those are the sort of uh, factors that they could go uh, uh, go um, um, uh, above and uh, normal. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.